0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: The Democrats' hit on Kavanaugh gets even dirtier, even uglier. We will talk about whether the Republicans can show some backbone and stand up to this withering assault of lies. Also, updates on the Rod Rosenstein gonna wear a wire, maybe, and even remove the president from office with the 25th Amendment story. Crazy stuff there. And then finally, how many illegal aliens are in the country? Uh, some very smart people are going to tell you the numbers much bigger than you've been told. That and more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, Show.
2: Where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters
1: with actionable
3: intelligence. Russian.
2: One small thing. Make no mistake. America.
1: You're a great American again.
3: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA
2: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
3: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
2: Judge Brett Kavanaugh is a man of integrity with impeccable credentials and a proven judicial philosophy. On the District of Columbia Court of Appeals, he wrote more than 300 opinions that reflect a strong record of support for limited government, religious liberty, and our Second Amendment. He's a conservative who will interpret the Constitution as written, and his record and career deserves the respect of every member of the United States Senate. But honestly, the way some Democrats have conducted themselves during this process is a disgrace and a disservice to the Senate and the American people.
0: I am with Judge Kavanaugh and I look forward to a vote. And for people to come out of the woodwork from 36 years ago and 30 years ago and never mentioned it, all of a sudden it happens, in my opinion, it's totally political.
4: Did you guys ever look at each other and say, I'm out, this is enough, this is just isn't worth it?
0: I'm not going to let
5: false accusations drive us out of this process. And uh, you know, we're looking for a fair process where I can be heard and defend the, my integrity, my lifelong record, my lifelong record
0: of promoting. Dignity and equality for women, starting with the the women who knew me when I was 14 years old.
1: I'm not going anywhere. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. We are in the midst of one of the darkest weeks in our politics in my memory. One of the ugliest partisan disputes I've ever seen. It is entirely the Democrats' fault of their making. The only upside from all of this is that we will never be forced to sit and smile or take seriously the notion that the Democrats in the era of Trump are the ones who care about decorum and honesty and truth and fairness. This should send a shudder down your spine. What is happening now to Kavanaugh could happen to any male you know. I know that liberals have a hard time with this concept, but when evidence is not even presented, When there is no evidence to speak of, when there's no corroboration, no witnesses, no eyewitness testimony of any kind, minus a highly politically motivated accuser, and that sole accusation with flimsy details and, in fact, stories that don't add up or make sense, when that is taken as proof of guilt, we are all living in a quasi-totalitarian society where any one of us can be crushed at any time. It is just a question of when the left deems it necessary. They don't have to destroy all of us, folks. They only have to take out some of us. And the rest will fall in line. The rest won't want to risk their reputations, their careers, their freedom, their families. Kavanaugh, from what I have seen so far, is a quiet warrior. Kavanaugh is a man who is willing to stand with his shield high. He is not backing down. He understands that he is facing total political war from the Democrats. There is nothing they will not say or do if it can prevent this man from becoming the next Supreme Court justice. Anything goes from their perspective as long as it serves their political purpose. They have no honor. They have no dignity. This whole process has been turned into not just a circus, but a mass character assassination. I said to friends who asked me on Friday, and I, I in fact, uh, uh, spoke to a member of the, well, I spoke to a congressman last week, and he said to me, you know, just as an aside off the record, there's going to be another accuser. I said, do you know of one? He goes, no, but there'll be one. And I said, yeah, I know, I agree and I have spoken to friends of mine all last week saying, yeah, there's there's going to that's the move here. They're going to come out with another accuser because ford uh, this is this is not something that serious people can believe. She was saying she can't make the hearing on time because she's afraid of flying. I have I, I how much do you want to bet that she flies whenever she feels like flying, okay? We all know this. But they were desperate They were just stalling, and their lackeys in the media will go along with anything. Any story, as long as it serves the purpose, provides a temporary buffer between Ford and the American people finding out the truth. Here you have somebody, the first round of allegations from um, from Professor Ford involve uh, everyone who's been contacted saying they do not believe that it happened, other than Ford. Everyone denies it, including people denying it under oath. Kavanaugh denied it right away under oath, fully in, in its totality. He's not saying there was horseplay that was misunderstood. That would have actually been my first guess as to what happened here. I didn't think immediately, well, she must be fabricating this. He, but then we get more facts, and then he comes out and says this is all a lie. And then this other woman comes out. And this is bull. And I wish I could say the full word because that's what deserves to be said. This is total bull oh I, I didn't know if it really happened you know I, I can't really remember I was drunk but I spoke to my lawyers for six days and 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 now I think I'm sure that it, it probably was him maybe but I was drunk and I don't really know saying that he exposed himself to her exposed himself that's, that's what the allegation is now um uh, and, and everyone who's been contacted, including dozens, the New York Times reached out to. I mean, it's all hands on deck here, folks. Every liberal publication, you have a multi-billion dollar media apparatus that is trying to take down Kavanaugh right now. And this is, and this is the best they can do. Here are two things, two concepts, two ideas that we must remember and, and not let the left get away with, you know, pretending aren't there, don't exist. One, that Women do not ever make up allegations of sexual assault. I I know there's a lot of sensitivities around this. I know rape is a terrible crime, and there are lots of women who have been raped who have never received justice. Most women who were sexually assaulted never received justice. And the truth is, there's really no such thing as full justice because no one can make that transgression go away. The only healing that's really possible is possible through the individual. I mean, the justice system does what it can, but it can never really make that person who has suffered that assault entirely whole from from what they are, their experience had been previously in life. And I understand that. But if we're going to talk about highly political and politicized sexual assault allegations, there is a long history of not just overstatement or he said, she said, but complete fabrications. Tawana Brawley, an, an utter fabrication, a lie, peddled by Al Sharpton, who is still treated with deference and love and respect by the entire Democratic Party and resulted in the suicide of a blameless individual because of all the shame and pressure and misery that he was under because of her lie. She's a liar. Lied about being raped and smeared with feces. Crystal Gail Mangum, a, a name that probably very few of you know. She accused a good portion of the Duke lacrosse team of a gang rape against her. Boys were th- losing their lives to prison, most likely, if, if it had gone through, right? They were going to be in prison for, for decades. The the coach of that Duke lacrosse team was fired. He wasn't there. He didn't do anything. They just fired him because she was a liar. She fabricated a story about a gang rape wholesale. Why? I I, I don't know, folks. There's lots of reasons we could come up with. We don't know. We're not her. Later on, she ended up uh, killing someone because they didn't press false charges, uh, false statement charges against her, which they should always do in cases where it's provably false that a a rape was committed. There are other stories. I I did one on this show, I believe, in the last 12 months. A woman claimed to be uh, bound and raped by a police officer. I believe it was in Dallas. It was definitely in Texas. Uh, she didn't realize, though, that every moment of their interaction was on videotape. And he not only didn't rape her, he was entirely professional in, the, in, in every moment of their interaction, including when she was being verbally belligerent and difficult. So why'd she make that up? I, I, I can't tell you, but it happens. It happens. And then you have uh, th- this uh, w- woman, I'm actually blanking on her name, but the one who told the, the complete fabrication about The gang rape at University of Virginia, which all the same people now I see in the media who believe that and who, oh, my gosh, Rolling Stone, gang rape on campus. No one. They ran with this. And it only you know what happened? A few conservatives came out and said, I'm sorry, I don't I don't think this really makes sense. My first reaction when I was told that story by a member of my family was I don't buy it. And I, to this day, wish that I had come on radio the next day and said that's that story's fake. And it's not because I don't think that women get sexually assaulted on campus. It's not because I don't, I don't believe that those things happen. Of course they happen. And they're terrible crimes. And they should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. It's that I know sometimes they don't happen. And we are in this frenzied period now of these kangaroo courts under the auspices of Title IX that give no due process to the accused. That are set up specifically so that the accusation is essentially a guilty verdict. And that mentality, which the Obama administration, my friends, pushed down onto college campuses and encouraged on college campuses across the country, has now reverbed back to the very top of the federal government. And you're seeing it with sitting senators in the Judiciary Committee who are saying that they, when they say they believe, Professor Ford, what they are saying is that they believe that Judge Kavanaugh is an attempted rapist who just lied under oath. And they're saying all that with zero evidence and lots of red flags and reason to doubt the accusation before. I haven't even gotten into the, the reasons to doubt the second allegation. How about the timing? Oh, they just happen to have a second accuser who comes out after it's been established that, oh, that's right, Professor Ford has to show up on Thursday and testify under oath. That, that gets negotiated. When they realize they can't stall, they can't play games anymore, fine. She has to a- agree to this. Oh, and then they have this New Yorker piece. Ronan Farrow's name is on it. The the great savior of the Me Too movement. Who, truth be told, has done some very good work on this issue. But he's a Democrat. He's a lib. And it was only a matter of time before his work, his credibility, was used in a weaponized form for political purposes. That's where we are now. The story that he put out in The New Yorker is, is shoddy, to say the least. The New York Times, because keep in mind, all these papers are running everywhere, talking to everybody in Kavanaugh's life. And they are saying things like, yeah, there's a witness to Kavanaugh's exposing himself to this woman 20 some odd years ago. Oh, if by witness, you mean somebody who said they heard something from somebody else that sounded kind of like this. They're treating that as a quote witness because they are desperate because they've got nothing. So let me now add to this. I don't believe accuser number one or accuser number two. I think they both are willing to lie. I'm not saying they're completely, you know, they've never met Kavanaugh, they're fabricating everything, but I think they're willing to lie about the circumstances of this. Maybe they've convinced themselves that they're telling the truth. So yeah, I guess they could pass a poly, but polygraphs aren't used in court for a reason. Because they think that they are saviors here of the Democratic Party's most important political issue, which is the right to abort a baby any time for all nine months of a pregnancy for any reason, as many times throughout your life as you want to do and have the state pro- protect access, have the state provide funding. That is what this is all about. Plain and simple. And women have been radicalized. And yes, I will say that radicalized to be abortion extremists. And in that kind of an environment, if you think that you can save all of your fellow women from the the servitude of having to carry children to full term and bring them into this world, yes, I, I think it is reasonable to expect that there are people of that mindset who would lie under these circumstances. I think they're both lying. And I have taken horrific heat from people for this one. And I don't care. It's time some of us stand up and defend the truth, my friends. I know you are with me. I know we are together on this. But it's lonely right now on the truth side. It's rough out there. They are looking to take scalps, to destroy people, not just Kavanaugh, anyone around him, anyone who defends him. They're keeping score, too. This isn't going to be over no matter if Kavanaugh confirmed or not. But on this, it's too important. I don't want to live in a country where the despotic, disgusting left can eliminate anybody they want from public life with the flimsiest, most preposterous of sexual assault allegations. I don't want to live in that country. So now we stand and fight and we fight on this issue. We'll get into some of the Senate machinations and all that coming up in a moment. Stay with me.
5: Democrats have signaled for months. They would put on whatever performance the far left special interests demanded and throw all the mud, all the mud, they could manufacture. Well, it's not like they didn't warn us. But even by the far-left's standards, this shameful, shameful smear campaign has hit a new low. I'll get into the specifics in just a moment. But I want to be perfectly clear about what has taken place. Senate Democrats and their allies are trying to destroy a man's personal and professional life on the basis of decades-old allegations that are unsubstantiated and uncorroborated. That Mr. President is where we are. This is what the so-called resistance has become. A smear campaign, pure and simple, aided and abetted by members of the United States Senate.
1: It is a massive smear campaign. Mitch McConnell, I've got to say, has been pretty strong on this rhetorically. I think that they should just hold the vote. And this is what I this is where I come down on all this. Just just have the vote. This is just nonsense. They. Made it clear to anyone who's being even the least bit objective. Oh, they just happened to get an accuser out right after the the first accusers agreed to testify. Then a second one magically appears. Come on. Oh, and after they held this the whole time so they could wait till the very, very end. This is all about delay. We know it's all political. We're not stupid. The Democrats are just shameless. I mean, I, I, I've never seen anything like this. They just act like, they're like, yeah, no, we're just really stupid and can't make simple, can't come to simple judgments about what's happening. We're just really dumb. That's what Democrats are saying to you all the time now. But, you know, if you if you think there's a, a need to present evidence, you support rapists. This is what passes for argument now. I mean, the, the, the journalists that I'm engaging with on the left right now are just a pack of morons. They hate Kavanaugh. They think that they're scoring some big win here against you know progress i mean against preppy white male privilege and oh he went to yale and he's got a side part and all this stuff they just hate him they're ruining an innocent man folks kavanaugh based on everything we have seen and been told so far isn't just not guilty he is innocent
4: a show of hands how many of you believe judge kavanaugh when he says this didn't happen
1: i believe
4: him i do believe believe. i I I believe believe.
2: him. how can we believe
4: the word of a woman Something that happened 36 years ago when this guy has an impeccable reputation. wasn't Nobody, she... nobody that has spoken ill will about him. Everyone yeah. that speaks about him, this guy's an altar boy, you know, a scout. He's, you know, because one woman made an allegation. Sorry, I don't buy it. But in the grand scheme of things, my goodness, you, there was no intercourse. There was maybe a touch. Right. Can we really 36 <laughs> years later, she's you know, still stuck on that. On. Had it
2: happened. I mean, we're talking about a 15-year-old girl, which I respect. You know, I'm a woman. I respect. And we're talking about a 17-year-old boy in high school with testosterone running high. Tell me what boy hasn't done this in high school. Please, I would like to know.
1: Not the responses from that focus group of, uh, of, of women. I believe they are Republican women uh, that CNN got together. And not not the responses that would have been expected, I think, by the CNN moderator there. Uh, you'll notice, though, a lot of that is the stuff that that people would say at kitchen tables around the country. You know, not, not hashtag resistance, you know, wear female anatomy hats on their heads kind of kitchen table places. But, you know, just just normal Americans would say a, a lot of that stuff. Not all of it necessarily, but a lot of it. They'd say it was a really long time ago. It was one allegation. This just doesn't really seem to add up. I don't understand why. Everyone on the Democrat side is, well, we, we, the thing is, you got to be careful that you say this, right? Because we do know why they're doing it. It's not because they find the allegations so believable. It's because they're so desperate to believe the allegations. That's, that's not the same thing. That is not the same thing. Uh, and those women, I think, made a lot of, of the points and a lot of the argument that we're always told, well, women, you know, women have a right to be believed, and women don't do this, and women don't think that. Well, that was a whole bunch of women who clearly think that Kavanaugh is getting a raw deal here. That was a whole panel of women, and we didn't play all of it for you there. It went on. I mean, there was a lot of really sensible stuff that they said. I mean, I keep seeing the stupidity on on Twitter right now, which most of you folks aren't on, so you don't have to worry about it, but the stupidity on Twitter is it's at an 11. I, I, I've never seen it as bad as it is right now. You have people all over the place who are saying, Kavanaugh's a rapist. And to that I say, no one's, ha- no, no person, even if you believed all the complete BS allegations that are out there right now about Kavanaugh, there is not a single person yet who has claimed Kavanaugh has raped them or in any way actually physically penetrated them against their will. Not one. So how is, how is he even, or how is it even theoretically possible that based on what we know, he's a rapist? But people are saying that. That's how interested they are in defaming him. That's how interested they are in destroying his character and ruining his chances to be a Supreme Court justice. They're just lying about him, and they feel good lying about him. They feel like it's something that they are doing for their team. It's something that makes them feel like they're being helpful to the very important cause, and the cause is really—they keep saying—to decide things for women. I I, I was over at at Capitol Hill today. I uh, asked—I got to ask a couple of questions to Senator Coons, who, by the way, is a—he's a very small fellow. I uh, got to ask a couple of questions, to Senator Coons. And, you know, he gave me the usual, you know, he likes the sound of his own voice. He gave me the usual Democrat nonsense. Uh, but there was this whole group of 150 Yale law school students who were all together. And then there was this recurring theme. They're getting up and they're giving these speeches and they're all clapping for each other for how brave they are for giving these speeches, basically about how brave they are. And these aren't little kids, folks. I mean, they're all 25, 26. I mean, these are adults. And, you know, they're. They're standing up there and they keep saying, you know, because Kavanaugh could be making decisions that affect women's women's rights for decades to come. It's like, what exactly does that mean? That affect women's rights. Just say abortion. Why why is it women's what women's right is Kavanaugh opposed to other than perhaps we don't even know, but perhaps, quote, a woman's right to choose. In what way is Kavanaugh anti-woman other than he doesn't think that it should be. In a, a policy of the United States government to make it legal in all 50 states and use taxpayer funds, by the way. That is what it is when Planned Parenthood's getting hundreds of millions of dollars from taxpayers. And use taxpayer funds to commit abortion on an industrial scale. You know, 60, million, uh, 60 million unborn, killed, and counting. That's what this is about for women. This is, this is where women's rights, by the way, I mean, the left is really abandoning women's rights and feminism as a general issue because they don't really believe in gender. They don't believe in cisgender. They don't believe in gender, binar, uh, bi, uh, gender binder. That's the Mitt Romney thing. Gender binary society, male, female. They believe there's something else. They believe there's this whole spectrum of different genders out there that we need to understand and embrace and and have a part of our of our day-to-day lives. You know, can they explain it to you? No, but they're sure it's really important. So I, I I just note that this this panel of women was speaking about this in a way that I think a lot of just everyday folks would. And you could tell the CNN moderator was just horrified. Oh, my gosh, you just, you don't, doesn't the woman have a right to be believed? And on this idea of the right to be believed, uh, I, I've seen a lot of stupidity today about people saying, "Well, Al Franken to stepped down." Yeah, Al Franken was a big voice for the Me Too movement, and then there are photos of him groping a woman's breast while she's asleep. Photos being a very important word here. Al Franken did not step down, and I'll note. I thought it was a little honestly under the circumstances. I thought it was a little. Well, no, there was additional. I'm trying to remember. I think there were people that said he tried to stick his tongue down their throat. There were. That was a few. That was a few times that he was very aggressive with that. So it wasn't just the, But just the grope photo, I would have been like, all right. I mean, she was wearing a flak vest and I don't think he actually even touched her skin. But, you know, I, it's not OK. But, it, you know, the, should he have to step down? I mean, I, I think. Oh, by the way, the moment you get into these gray areas, the moment you get into these gray areas, people say, what, are you OK with rape? No, but the law makes lots of distinctions about whether it's, you know, unwanted touching Actual penetration, sexual intercourse, there's all... These are these are codified in the law, so can't we also talk about the different severity? They just say sexual assault, like, you know, is a pat, is a pat on the butt when you walk by somebody as bad as tying somebody down and, and, and forcefully physically raping and penetrating them? And, of course not, right? I mean, it's an idiot. But that's the way we're forced to talk about this a lot of the time. Like, it's all kind of the same. They say, well, the left is gone. You know, why are you defending Kavanaugh? The left is gone after... You know uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein and the left has gone after you know Charlie Rose. Those guys are predators. Weinstein is accused of rape. No one's saying Kavanaugh raped anybody. They're saying he might have attempted rape, which I would know it is also a very really attempted rape. What's the difference between attempted rape and like you know grabbing and, and holding for a second when you're drunk and you think it's funny and then you realize she doesn't think it's funny and then you let her go. I'm not saying that's not assault. I'm not saying that's okay, but attempted rape. Did Kavanaugh say that he was going to have sex with her? I mean, I, you know, I, I've never really. Oh, because he tried to pull at her bathing suit. Was she was? I've never also understood this. He was just going to pull her bathing suit off. I mean, the the whole. As I try, and, and then another guy who's in the room, jumped and knocked them over. The whole story is. I read her letter today. I mean, the the letter that she put out. The whole story strikes me as, as not the way that you would expect this kind of situation to go down. You could say it does not ring true to me. A lot of other Democrat senators have said it does ring true to them. But just for a moment, on to double standards. We're having this whole discussion about uh, Kavanaugh, and it has completely enraged me. I mean, I, I am as angry about this as I've been about anything in the world of politics for a very long time. And there's a clear double standard that is at work, and it's one that should be made note of because the left is just plowing past this, and they have no defense. There's no argument. Keith Ellison has been credibly accused of domestic abuse, a very serious charge, by no less than two women. When Keith Ellison is asked about this, folks, he's running. He had been in Congress. He's running for Attorney General of Minnesota, when he's asked about this, this is what he says in response to those allegations. Play 15.
4: Are you confident that no one else will step forward with any other allegations?
0: Look, you know, in this political environment, you know, I don't know what somebody might cook up, but I can tell you that there is absolutely nobody that I'm aware of who's, who has any sort of who's threatening or suggesting or has ever made a prior accusation.
1: There's nobody I'm aware of who would make an accusation. That's very weird. Nowhere in that statement does he say, I am innocent of any of these charges. I did not do any of this. He says, you know, yeah, I mean, something could happen. That's the statement. That is the statement if we're going to evaluate these things for credibility of a guy who knows there's others out there, but isn't sure if they're going to come forward, but doesn't want to box himself in in case they do. And there's no calls from Democrats to say that Keith Ellison should step down. Should you're not hearing that at all? And uh, credit to my old colleague and friend S.E. Cup for uh, tackling this on her on her new show uh, on CNN. Here's what she said about it. Play 14.
4: Keith Ellison, mm-hmm. Democratic congressman from Minnesota, deputy chair of the DNC, running for attorney general in Minnesota, has been accused by two women of domestic violence. Not only aren't Democrats insisting that they be believed and that he step aside, he easily won his Democratic primary, but at least one of his accusers has said that her own party, the Democratic Party, has uh, smeared and isolated her. How can Democrats explain a very obvious double standard in outrage?
1: They can't. And Essie knows that, which is why she asked the question. They can't. But the Me Too movement has been weaponized for partisan purposes now, as we all knew that it would. It was, it was building to a point where you knew eventually uh, it would happen. And, and I would note that you know one thing that gets lost is people are like, oh, we've gone after all these left-wing people and these media people. That's because they were old and no longer useful. If Hillary Clinton had won useful to the left, If Hillary Clinton had won, I assure you they would not have done the Weinstein stories. Ronan Farrow, they would not because it wouldn't have been embraced once the truth finally came out. It would have still been suppressed, just like the truth about Bill Clinton when he was in office was suppressed. These are leftists that have gotten caught up by these exposés. These are left wing media folks. These are left wing, uh, you know, heads of networks that have been caught up in the uh, Ronan Farrow exposes. So I I think that also bears repeating here. Um, But we are at the point now where that's all being used for this one moment, the ultimate partisan hit.
3: This was not a wire in the sense of tapping the president's phone or installing a listening device. It would be a recording as if, you know, I you sat down and we had coffee and I recorded it. Washington, D.C. is a a one-party consent, so, you know, anyone can basically record any type of one-on-one conversation with them. Obviously, taking such a move with the president would have been extraordinary. This is something that the Justice Department uses in drug cases or gang cases. This is something that Rosenstein brought up multiple times with FBI officials in this period of time. It wasn't just once. As the Justice Department has put out this person that was in the room saying it was sarcastic, well, Rosenstein brought it up later in the day. And as we point out in the story, Rosenstein was asked in the meeting whether he was serious about this, and he said that he was. So that contradicts um, what the Justice Department had, and that's why we felt comfortable and moved forward with the story
0: they know i'm meeting with rod rosenstein on thursday when i get back from all of these meetings and we'll be meeting at the white house and we'll be determining uh what's going on we want to have transparency we want to have openness and i look forward to meeting with rod at that time
1: oh my my folks big things going on here you you heard that That was from uh schmidt the writer who broke the New York Times story about Rosenstein saying that they're going to wear a wire and wire up FBI agents who go talk to Trump, that they're going to remove him with the 25th Amendment. This is straight. This is now straight up, you know, deep state legal coup or legalized or legal department coup. Right. This is this is a a form of of lawfare mutiny against the president of the United States by his own executive branch. You'll notice that we're never told what why. Why would Rosenstein have done this? Why would this have been necessary? We always them get some kind of mealy know, they never have an answer. What did he say that was so crazy? What, that, that Kim Jong-un is a little rocket man? They think that they think that that's so out of line? What was it that set them off in this way? So that's, that's one part of this. But the, the bigger news, I think, and this was from today, uh, after that story broke on Friday and there was a lot of pushback. We'll, we're going to be talking more about this in the next hour for sure. But so there was this morning a whole bunch of stories that are getting floated out there saying Rosenstein was, had offered to resign to Kelly, the White House chief of staff. Ah, but my sources here in D.C. tell me something very interesting. That what happened... Was that after that story broke on Friday? And now Rosenstein had already said he had, you know, he has no part of it. He didn't do it, and all this stuff. After that story broke on Friday, the president requested to have a meeting with Rosenstein, and Rosenstein immediately to, uh, you know, to to pre prepare the battlefield, or I guess just prepare the battlefield beforehand. Um, must have leaked or somebody in his office leaked that there was going to be that, that he was going to offer his resignation to try to get ahead of it. Rosenstein quit because the White House said they wanted to talk to him and he assumed he was going to be fired and he wanted to be some kind of a hero. And then he found out later on in the day, oh, you mean they're not actually going to fire me? Well, then I'm not going to resign. And then the story just went away. But you see, in this whole process, I believe the White House has exposed that Rosenstein is playing games with this and has been playing games the whole time. That Rosenstein is, in fact, a a Democrat operative in the role of Deputy Attorney General, that he is not a fair player in this process, and that he is is looking to protect himself so that he gets to be a, a resistance hero at the end of this whole thing. And that's what he is looking to do. That's his, his goal here. Uh, and, and the fact that, to our knowledge, he's had basically no meaningful willingness or, or ability to rein in the Mueller probe, I think tells you a lot. Because the Mueller probe has, has been a rogue elephant for a long time. He's just running around trampling people. And Rosenstein has done nothing, that we're aware of at least, to, to rein this in. And, and if he has tried, he has certainly failed. Uh, but I think they caught him on this one. I think that he tried to get ahead of it and say that. So Rosenstein figured, oh, they're they're meeting with me. They're going to fire me. I'm going to tell the press that I've already resigned. And then the White House said, why are you resigning? We're not we're not firing you. And he goes, oh, my bad. Uh, so we we got more Rosenstein talk coming up here in just a minute. There's a, there's a lot to dig into here, folks. Stay with me. Background investigations are very important, folks. There's been a lot of talk about investigations and backgrounds in the news now. You don't want to hire somebody and find out that you got a big headache on your hands. You don't want a new employee who's got a long history of lawsuits or maybe even a criminal background that they weren't truthful about. You just want to make sure that you're working with people that can get you the answers about any vetting, any background investigation work that you need done. That's Global Verification Network. Global Verification is a dual-certified veteran-owned and operated company with headquarters here in Chicago but offices throughout the United States Nothing is ever offshore. They will not send your work to be done overseas. They will not send your data to be held overseas. This is the place you want for all your background investigation work. Go give them a call, or you can check out their website, mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. And when you speak to CEO Mark Buckman, tell him Buck Sexton sent you
0: and I can tell you this, he has a perfect right to do it legally. He could do it without being guilty of obstruction of justice. Look, you're entitled to have a deputy attorney general who's not snooping around the White House trying to get people to get you removed from office.
1: Yeah, you'd think. That's the Dersh doing what the Dersh does so well these days, which is speaking some sense to the libs, and he's a lib. He's a big lib. But he has some connection to reason and the law and reality he does not allow himself to be convinced by what he wishes were true about the law and about these processes so this story that we talked about on friday about rosenstein uh saying that there were discussions about the 25th amendment and also that he would wear a wire we've we've gotten more information about this now and you've got some reports that say that the new that the uh the and by the way you know I, i said it early on and then others are saying oh it's a trap it's a trap for trump and so yes, I said that early, and now I heard that all weekend from people. I guess it's kind of obvious, but still, a little give myself a little pat on the back. It's rough down here in the swamp, right? I got swamp rats coming at me from left and right. So Rosenstein said it, and then we find out that other places, other uh, newspapers, claim that it was a joke, and that the initial story, which I think broke in the Times, was taking it literally. And and to that, I would just say. You know, this is where this is where you see some of the shadiness of the mainstream media laid bare. Uh, they are claiming that they're that they can stand by the reporting. But really what they would if if push came to shove, they would say, well, he made the comment. And so our interpretation of it was that he meant it, you know, even if it's a joke. So that's that's what The New York Times and Washington Post have been brought down to now uh, that they would make allegations Based upon, or, or they would, they would not, not make allegations. Well, in this case, they're kind of alleging something, but they would report on something as though it were a true factual statement, when really it was a joke. But they will report jokes literally. You yeah. know, so you know if if somebody if somebody has a, a going away party thrown for them, like, oh, you guys, I told you not to do this, man. I could just, I, I, I'm, I'm going to kill you. You guys should have done this. New York Times reports, person surprised by going away party threatens to kill everybody in the room. I mean, technically, I guess, true, but not really. That seems to be the way the Times does its reporting now. Then on another level, you have, and, and I, I stand firmly behind this, all right, the 25th Amendment, which keeps getting talked about here, okay, you keep having all these people that bring up the 25th Amendment, the 25th Amendment. You have had uh, you have had an unbelievable number of people who have left this administration. As, uh, you could say, it's a little bit, a little bit of a weak spot for the administration. A little, little bit, little bit of a weak spot. You know, a lot of people leaving, and yet you cannot get a single prominent named Trump person from the White House who has departed to confirm that there has ever been discussion in any serious way, about the 25th Amendment. You know, we're having a lot of discussions right now about credibility and what can you believe, what should you believe. I do not find it credible. I simply do not find it believable that there could have been all these different times, because it must have been a lot, because we keep hearing from different people, where there were discussions of removing the president because he was mentally unfit for office. Only then to never have anyone come out and say, yes, that's right, that happened. You know, my name is such and such. I was in this White House that happened. The only exception to this is Omarosa. And I think you can all guess how credible I find that. Oh, we got more, on the, we got more from the Dersh on this one? Yeah, on the 25th Amendment, removing a president from office by you know, vote of the cabinet. Here's what the Dersh had to say. Play five. The
0: 25th Amendment obviously is inapplicable here. 25th Amendment was designed to prevent what happened to Woodrow Wilson. He had a stroke and he couldn't govern. Or temporarily what happened to Ronald Reagan. He shot. He had to turn over the vice pre- to the vice president. It wasn't intended to remove a president who you disagree with his policies. Or you think the White House is in
1: disarray. This is what I've been saying all along. They keep saying Trump is crazy and I'm like, how is he crazy? Give me evidence of him being crazy. Because he, you know, doesn't support the policies you like and he says that Jim Acosta is a hack and CNN is fake news, both of which are true statements, that doesn't make him crazy. That just makes him normal. Because he likes to eat, you know, cheeseburgers well done. I mean, that that may make him wrong, but it doesn't make him crazy. That he gets his steaks well done may be a crime against humanity, but it doesn't mean he's not a good president where is there a, that's you know, so not only have we never had anyone come out to confirm the 25th Amendment has been discussed in a meaningful way. We've also never had a single story where the president really sounded crazy, which is what you know, that's what unfit for office means. It doesn't mean I don't like the way that he's thinking about trade policy. Uh, and this is where you start to wonder if there's maybe a mirror imaging going on. That's what we would call it back in my old but now analyst days or an analyst, which is what I was going to say, which is just makes it sound cooler. Uh, but no, it's it's true. If you if you mirror image, it's when you think that somebody else is going to act the way that you do. And I think that some of the very big folks in the uh, bureaucratic establishment are so hateful toward Trump that they just you know they have kind of lost it, and so they assume that he he's lost it. You know that they see in him. What they should be seeing in themselves. Oh wait, I didn't. Really, we, we've got actually got that. So on the Rosenstein story, it is it is New York Times, but on the Rosenstein story, uh, you have Schmidt, who was the uh, the guy who broke this, defending it on uh, Morning Joe. Of course, play eight.
0: Uh, And liberals are saying, oh, he was just being sarcastic. Tell me, with all of your reporting, with all of your information, when he talked about wearing a wire and talked about uh, a vote on the 25th Amendment for Donald Trump, was Rod Rosenstein being sarcastic?
3: That's not what the depth and breadth of our reporting showed. It showed that in the meeting, Rosenstein had been asked whether he was joking. He said he was not and then raised a new prospect of wiring up FBI agents who were going into the Oval Office to meet with the president about being the next director. Also, no pushback from the Justice Department on whether the comment about the 25th Amendment was sarcastic. And what sort of gets lost in all of the noise around this story is the simple fact that in May of 2017, less than four months into Donald Trump's time in office, senior officials at the top of the Justice Department were talking about the 25th Amendment as a way of removing him from office.
1: I just wish someone would confirm it. Rosenstein says no, so I guess he's a liar. If New York Times is there's only two options: Rosenstein's a liar, or the New York Times is wrong. I don't know which one to go with there. And oh, also by the way, that you know the president, uh, you know the president has managed to flush out so many people from the DOJ. And I think that we've seen another instance of this here with what's going on with, with the leaks. Flush and leaks. Look at all this wordplay. With the leaks that were going on from DOJ today. I, I've got more on this on this story, though, uh, coming to you here in just a moment. Snippy.com, folks. That is the new social media platform. It is up and coming for people who do not want moderators and left-wing activists, you know, people that are in charge of conversational health, the kinds of platforms that do shadow banning, all that stuff, uh -uh. uh-uh. Snippy.com has none of it. I've got a profile on Snippy. I can post there and check in and talk to folks whenever I want and know that there's not going to be some shadow banning issue. James Woods, one of my favorite Twitter accounts, got kicked off of Twitter recently. I mean, it's crazy what's going on out there. If you want to make sure that you're building up a network of like-minded patriots and friends and just people you want to talk to anything about, go to snippy.com and know that they're not going to kick you off. They're not going to engage in any kind of left-wing social engineering. They're just going to let people have a conversation because your voice should be heard. Snippy.com. Start your entirely free account at snippy.com.
2: During the campaign, it's clearly Department of Justice, the FBI, was tipping the scales for Clinton. This revelation after President Trump was sworn in right. shows they were trying to undermine the election. There's a bureaucratic coup going on at the Department of Justice as an FBI, and somebody needs to look at it.
5: We need Rod Rosenstein under oath before the Judiciary Committee. Articles of impeachment have been filed against Rosenstein. Under House rule, those have now ripened to the point where any one member of Congress can force a vote on Rod Rosenstein's impeachment. And if Rosenstein is not in the witness chair this week, Mark Meadows and I are prepared to call for that vote on an impeachment. We need to understand from Rosenstein and from the people in the room why the deputy attorney general of the United States felt it was appropriate to even joke about wearing a wire on the president while he's supposed to be overseeing an investigation. When this president is facing all of these threats internally and externally, he does not deserve to have his own deputy attorney general joking about wearing a wire on him. That is so inappropriate. And you know what? If we don't get him in the witness chair this week, we may be taking a vote on his impeachment.
1: Folks, there is a bureaucratic coup. That is true. Sorry, it is not much do. I'm going to stop rhyming now. Uh, but there is a bureaucratic coup underway, or there was. I think they're still trying, and it. it's just in slow motion. But that doesn't mean that I think that removing Rosenstein is the right thing. I think that uh, you got to let Rosenstein stay for now. If you were going to remove him, you wanted to do it at the very beginning to remove him at this point when it's, I think, so very clear that the Russia investigation is, the Russia collusion part of it is running out of steam. By the way, how's all that election interference stuff coming along? Yeah, they got those indictments against those Russians. Remember what a big deal they made about that? And a conspiracy to defraud the United States, which don't even really know what that means. Uh, I said that, actually, what was his name? Um, Hugh Hewitt. Got into it with me a while ago on Twitter about that when I said that was an overreach. He said, "No, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it is. It, it, what, conspiracy to defraud the United States. I mean, unless you're stealing money from the United States government, you're defrauding them by putting propaganda on the internet. That no, no. Uh, that that doesn't add up for me. Um, I think it was. I might have been wrong. Maybe it wasn't Hugh Hewitt. It was, it was one of those other one of those other people that hosts a radio show. Uh, so you know, I, I think that." It doesn't make sense strategically to get rid of, of Rosenstein. Uh, that all said, who's really defending their conduct at this point? That's not a partisan hack. I mean, how, how can anyone look at this situation honestly and think to themselves, you know what, there's really there's really nothing going on here. Yeah, so maybe Rosenstein made a comment about wearing a wire, but he was kidding. I'll tell you this, my friends. If somebody had made a comment about, never mind the pre, well, yeah, let's say the president. If when I was at CIA, somebody said they were going to go into an Oval Office briefing and wear a wire, that wouldn't have been considered funny. I think the person would have been uh, investigated actually by our own internal security there. I mean, I think, I think that would have been considered in such poor taste that it would have been treated almost like somebody that you know yells bomb on an airplane or something. Like it would not have gone over well. So, so I do. I am willing to believe that Rod Rosenstein said that as a joke because it's. Such a dumb thing for him to say out loud at the Department of Justice, uh, but I also think that it's possible that he felt so comfortable, surrounded by other bureaucrat lawyers at You Remember Rosenstein's an Obama appointee. This guy was Attorney General in Maryland. He's a lefty, folks. He's another yet another Democrat. This this is where the Trump administration's Achilles' heel. Uh, has been exposed or not as Achilles heel, a weak spot. Achilles heel means the whole thing comes down, but a weak spot. Uh, This is where you see the problem with the transition team. They didn't have experience. They didn't have the preparation in place they needed. And their decision making about things like, should we keep Rod Rosenstein in place was really poor. The answer to, should you keep an Obama appointee hack as as deputy attorney general is no when you're coming in as a Trump administration. You know, remember what uh, what Bill Clinton did back in the day, got rid of all these different U.S., you know, just just emptied it out, just emptied out DOJ and made sure that they had loyalist folks. You know, we no longer live in this neutral, nonpartisan uh, fantasy land that we used to when it comes to our government. Any position with power is inherently political in our government now. Any position with power is inherently political. That doesn't mean that any person who holds that position has to act in a politicized fashion. But nobody in our in our federal government who has real power, I'm not talking about little bureaucrats, nobody who has real power at the top of these agencies, bureaucracies and uh, and committees and all the rest of it is free of political. I I was going to say pollution, that might be too strong, but, but but political leanings. So we should just dispense. I mean, all, all the way up to the Supreme Court, the one place, as we've seen from the last couple of weeks or last, you know, month or two, the one place that's supposed to be above politics, the judiciary, is perhaps now the most intensely political place of all. So think about that extending all the way down to the rest of the bureaucracy at the top level, at the level of, of a boss. Uh, and, and that's why the the leave-behinds like or the stay-behinds like Rosenstein and others were the real problem. Comey was a stay-behind. The president told me this. What was it? A couple of weeks ago, he should have fired Comey right off the bat. It was a huge mistake to keep Comey. But people around him convinced him, and I understand this. You know, on national security and and Justice Department stuff, you can make an argument for some degree of continuity. You can make an argument to. You know, to have people and that you want to, you know, have people that have, that, that show that these are non political offices. Well, if you're Trump and you took that step of good faith toward the other side, you've just gotten, you've just gotten crushed because of it. And that's what we see happening with Rosenstein. I don't think he fired Rosenstein because then they're going to say, oh, he was, they were just getting to the truth and Trump got rid of him. And then the story, bec- that, that becomes the entire story for them. Not that they've been running with this fantasy, this complete joke of Trump colluding with Russia. I haven't said this to you in a little while, my friends, but it's not even a good plan. And that's why, from the beginning, I've known it's not true. It's not a good plan. There's nothing that the Trump administration could reasonably have been doing to help Russia in this. It would have exposed them to incredible amounts of risk, and the, downs, the downside greatly outweighs the upside because it wouldn't even have been effective. What was this collusion supposed to be? Russia, hey, go hack Hillary's emails, and then when you get them, we'll talk about them? Well, r- r- Russia was doing that on their own. They're hacking everybody anyway. They're hacking them long before Trump said anything about it. So w- what's the, what does the Trump administration bring this? It's, it's not even a good plan. And then you add, so that's one layer of how I know that nothing happened. And then you add another layer of, Trump and his guys who, I mean, some of these people like Scaramucci and these others have no messaging discipline, have no sense of how to uh, deal with a hostile press without stepping into a bear trap. And they also have, so they've had that and the most sophisticated intelligence apparatus on the planet looking into them with essentially, for all intents and purposes, unlimited resources. And they got nothing. You know, a year and a half later, they got nothing. So given all of that, given that reality, how are we even still having this conversation? Oh, that's right. If they fire Rosenstein, that's the only thing that the kids will be taught in school. If they fire Rosenstein, it'll just say Trump, you know, they were getting close to the truth. And then Trump shut down the investigation because he's such a bad guy and he's so dishonest and blah, 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 all, all that stuff. That's what happens here. That's why they shouldn't fire. Should Rosenstein be fired for cause? Absolutely. Should have been fired a long time ago. This is the same guy who allegedly threatened a member of the House Oversight Committee with, we're going to investigate you. Remember that? By the way, I completely, I completely believe that. Just because, I mean, there's nothing about it that did not ring true. I mean, you got Rosenstein, who's got his Back up. By, by the way, Brandon, do we think Stein or Stein? You know, how, how do we how do we differentiate? You go either way? All right, but I mean, if I'm putting you on the spot, you know, you go Rosenstein or Rosenstein. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I go both. I go, I go back and forth. And I'm from New York, so I've known a lot of Rosensteins. I feel like I usually go Steen. Anyway, you know, he, he should be fired for cause, folks, but he's, he's not going to be, I think. Uh, And and it's best that he not be, because then it will just give an excuse, a kind of escape hatch for all the collusion maniac Democrats out there who are they're running out of room to run with this, this whole lie they've been telling themselves. So I think that's very uh, I think it's very good that they not It'd be very smart to not fire Rosenstein. Uh, I've got much more coming up for you in just a sec, folks. Stay with me.
4: There is a constitutional crisis that doesn't have to be looked at only through the lens of impeachment. When you have these attacks on the rule of law, when you have a president who spends so much time uh, denigrating the FBI... uh, And his own
2: attorney general. And his
4: own attorney general and so many others who are trying to do the jobs that they uh, have been uh, given, that's really a problem because... You know, who does that help? I mean, who is actually benefiting from tearing down our law enforcement, our judicial uh, authorities, and the like? So it may come to people saying we now have the evidence or we now think there are high crimes and misdemeanors. But I think that there are issues that have to be addressed and there is the need to provide accountability to hold this administration to account.
1: I mean, how much useless blather can one person put into a little mini monologue? Hillary was was reaching the the upper limit for sure.
0: Hello? She's back! What happened?
1: You missed her. You missed her. Don't say you didn't miss her. I missed you! That's right. She of no political talent or skill, she who is just ruthless and self-interested and devoid of any integrity or honesty... She's not going to lecture us. No, notice how she starts. Uh, I think she what she was talking wasn't that Colbert? Was that Colbert she was talking to there? Case in point. We'll talk later about how nothing is. You know these comedians are not funny. Well, you know what is Hillary Clinton doing on the Colbert show? You'll notice like CNN people get to go on the Colbert show. What are they doing there? They're not. Are they celebrities? Or are they journalists? You know, is Hillary Clinton? What is she exactly? Why is she on the Colbert show? To say what? You know. Anyway. Uh, the truth is this, folks. All that stuff she started out saying about a constitutional crisis, what's the constitutional crisis? They keep saying these things, and they don't ever have any connection to any specific meaning. It just sounds good to them, right? What is the constitutional crisis she's talking about? Criticizing the FBI? The president, first of all, he's criticizing about five people inside the FBI, a a few of whom have been fired, for misconduct against the sitting president of the United States, I would note, and beyond that, you know what, what's the what's the constitutional crisis? The president's not allowed to criticize the FBI. Uh, that where is that in the Constitution? I, I don't understand that. The FBI works for the president; it's part of the executive branch. So, do they work for him or not? I mean, is it a is it a military chain of command crisis when a general you know tells a few of his sergeant majors you know you guys are not doing a good job. Some of you who are military are like, Buck, trust me, that's not how they say it. They say it a lot more salty than that. Yeah, I know. But is, is that, is that a military chain of command crisis? Or is that just, you know, the, the, the colonel or the captain or whoever telling the, telling the guys down the, down the line of command, you know, shape up or ship out. That's not really how they say it. Right. Shape up or ship out, but same idea. Maybe it is how they say it. Probably throw in some more colorful language. Uh, It's always funny to me when I was the CIA, you know, at at stateside, everybody was very proper in Langley. And the moment you got anywhere overseas, everyone's language just dropped like three levels in terms of much, much, uh, much saltier. Uh, But but Hillary's making these these charges, these allegations and that crowd, that crowd of clapping seals at the Colbert show, "Er, er, er, er," you know, they all think it's so great that Hillary's saying these things attacks on rule of law. How? How is he attacking rule of law? In fact, a much more honest reading of the facts would be that the, quote, rule of law, or those who rule the law, meaning those who are at the top of the DOJ and the FBI, are attacking the president. That's what's really been going on. You you notice this president actually respects law enforcement. This president actually likes the day-to-day of what law enforcement does. Doesn't side instinctively with criminals. Doesn't take the position... That law enforcement is in the wrong. For eight years, we had a president who did take that position. You know, it was always okay. Well, maybe this time it's not wrong. But in general, there's bad things, and I don't like it because the cops are racist. You know, and this is the stuff you'd hear all the time. That's why it's just so rich too to hear Hillary say, you know, all oh, this president undermining the FBI. Yeah, I think a lot of FBI guys probably like Trump a lot. Not the, not the senior, you know, the the, the top echelon necessarily, but. The rank and file, I guarantee you, there's plenty of, I know this, there's plenty of rank and file of the FBI that likes Trump. Not as much rank and file in the intelligence community. Uh, On the military side, yeah, so DIA and other places, all the military intel commands, plenty. But on the civilian agency side, no, there are a lot of lefties, a lot of pinko, Bernie Sanders voting, you know, matcha latte drinking types over at CIA, a lot of that. Uh, and, and the rest of the Intel community in general. A lot of that stuff going on. Uh, but they, they, she just says these things that she's a perfect example of the brainlessness of much of the anti-trump opposition. They say things, they get people all excited, they get people, oh my gosh, it's terrible. But what what do the things they say actually mean? and And what are we really supposed to to do about what they say? She says there's a constitutional crisis, but doesn't establish, what that crisis is. She says that there's assaults on the rule of law. Then she acts like Trump is so mean to law enforcement. Meanwhile, there were, there were race riots in this country, folks, under the Obama administration. There were race riots, and cops felt like they were not backed up in doing their jobs. Mike Brown, who was, yes, a thug, and was shot trying to do serious bodily harm and or kill a police officer... Was turned into some kind of an icon of the left, which is really pathetic. I mean, it's really grotesque, elevating this person. But the left does this with other cop killers as well, as we know. I mean, you know, Mumia Abu Jamal, uh, the the woman in um, uh, Cuba, her name is escaping me right now. But, you know, the, the left has a long and sordid history of elevating cop killers. And Democrats, I mean, very powerful senior Democrats, uh, take it upon themselves to support that rhetoric and support that idea that that cops are systemically racist, that when cops are involved in lethal force situations, they're usually in the wrong. It's usually because they're uh, racially biased. And, you know, it's always their fault. Right. It's always the cop's fault. That's their basic point of view on any of those issues. And so Hillary wants to act like, oh, okay. Trump is the problem when it comes to law enforcement. He he's a bad guy. It it is just completely nuts. Uh, you know, I, I am hearing some folks say that there's going to be uh, there's going to be more revelations soon about what's in that FISA, which I think has the uh, I think has the left a little concerned because uh, they're they're running out of there's there's only so many good faith people. There's only so many good faith people that you can. Convinced with evidence and arguments, a lot of other people are just never going to shift their their viewpoint on the stuff, no matter what. They hate Trump. He's gross. He's icky. They hate Republicans. We're mean. We're racist. We're bad. And it doesn't matter what you show them or they go. But the people that will listen uh, to evidence, they are increasingly, I think, they're increasingly finding themselves feeling like this Russia collusion investigation is going nowhere. Also, notice how that. Tracks with the news cycle. You haven't had any big bombshells about Russia, Trump collusion in a long time. And none of the bombshells are even really bombshells. But now it's all focused on 25th Amendment and Kavanaugh. It's, the story has moved to all these other things. Mueller probe is still ongoing. You know, Mueller's still uh, putting people in serious criminal jeopardy for just having to even talk to the FBI. And, you know, I, I should have, now that I think about this uh, aloud, this is a thought that just came to me, it shouldn't really be surprising to any of us that Kavanaugh is being treated so shoddily when it comes to process, specifically. Uh, because you've had a lot of Democrats and so-called legal analysts who, in service to the left, have just said things that are stupid, but if you repeat it enough, people start to think it's true. Things like, oh, there's no such thing as a perjury trap. You don't have to worry about prosecutors going after you all you have to do is tell the truth. This you know that's what they were saying about the Mueller probe for a long time, just like how now with Kavanaugh, they're saying, well if you're accused you should want an FBI investigation. You should want federal scrutiny of your life and and bring in as many investigators as possible because, you know, only guilty people don't want that. I mean, this is a a perversion of fundamental components of not just our justice system, but our, our societal notion of justice. What comprises a just society? If the allegation, if the, if the allegation or the accusation is treated the same as a guilty verdict, even without any corroboration or, or supporting evidence, uh, we are not long from having our, our freedom stripped away, folks. It means the worst people among us will find ways to destroy the best. The worst like Hillary Clinton, for example.
5: I think one of the most significant things he did was get out of the wretched Iran nuclear deal. He campaigned against it in 2016. He said it was the worst. You love that he did that. Fantastic. (laughs) Glad to be part of it. Uh, But he's absolutely right. It's the worst diplomatic deal in American history. We've put sanctions back on, more sanctions coming back on in November. We'll find other sanctions to put on as well uh, to pressure the Iranian government to change its behavior. And not just their nuclear weapons program, but their ballistic missile program and their Uh, militaristic across the Middle East, in Iraq, in Syria, Lebanon, Yemen. They're
0: a real threat, and the president's dealing with it. You can bet the president will have well-deserved strong words for the Iranian regime, which is among the worst of violators of U.N. Security Council resolutions, if not the absolute worst in the world. He'll call on every country to join our pressure campaign in order to thwart Iran's global torrent of destructive activity.
1: Folks, the approach that this administration has to Iran is obviously very different from the previous administration. That goes without saying. And one thing that you'll note is that, you know, Iranian uh, bellicosity, at least in the first year and a half or so of the Trump administration, seems to be substantially less than what we can recall from the latter part of the. Obama administration. Now, I'm not saying that Iran is a friend or that they don't do anything bad. They're doing terrible things all over the place. But less that I see, unless I'm missing something, that is directly aimed at a provocation or even a humiliation of the United States in some way. Uh, The Iranians have not uh, pushed for massive sectarian bloodletting in Iraq using Shia militias. Uh, yes, the Iranians are backing Houthis in Yemen, but we're backing the uh, the government, the recognized government, I should say, in, in Iran. And, you know, I, I think that you're going to see this play out even more where there's this belief, oh, if we continue on this path that Trump has put us on of holding the Iranians accountable, there's going to be all this really bad stuff that happens. You know, the Iranians are going to lash out. The Iranians are going to exact revenge on us uh, meanwhile it looks like Iran's got its fair share of problems its economy is uh, tanking right now it has way fewer far fewer way fewer uh, far fewer international allies at its side than I think it would have expected at the end of the Obama administration uh, and it just had this attack and this was pretty this was pretty astonishing this was an attack um, that was caught by uh, that was, on Iranian Revolutionary Guards that were in a parade in, in Iran, uh, and they were attacked by an Arab separatist group. And the Iranians are saying that the perpetrators were backed by Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and the U.S. Uh, a couple of dozen, yeah, 25 people, this was in Afaz, Iran, were killed in this attack at a parade ground. I mean, this, this was going right for, you know, the the kind of center of the of the military power structure, in term, at least in terms of the optics of this. I mean, going after the Iranian Revolutionary Guard during a parade is pretty bold stuff. Um, it doesn't exactly say who these fighters are. It's not yet clear from what I understand who they are. But, you know, Iran has its own internal problems, and it has a very weak economy. And, you know, we've been waiting a long time for, the Iranian regime to collapse. We've been waiting a long time for someone to come along and give it its last final push. I'm not saying bet on it. I'm not saying it's likely, but there is a very real possibility that the Trump administration is the one that sees the Iranian regime to its demise. Uh, the Iran deal, as as uh, National Security Advisor Bolton said, was just absolutely terrible. I mean, it was it was wrong not just in execution but in conception, everything about it. You're going to let the Iranians have access to markets, when they keep all the technology and all the facilities that they have, they just don't run them and they don't advance even more, at least in the open. Who knows what they're doing in secret? And you expect that after 10 years, they're just going to say, yeah, you know what? It was fun flirting with the idea of being a nuclear power, but uh, we'd like to go back to not being that. we, we, We have no interest in that. Now that we're much wealthier in a much better position, much more entrenched in the international community, more advanced ballistic missiles, been able to buy whatever they can buy from the North Koreans. Don't forget, folks, that the North Koreans, the the problems of North Korean Iran when it comes to proliferation have to be thought of really simultaneously, or not not always simultaneously, but they are connected. There are connections between the two. If you're worried, as we all should be, if we have national security concerns about what the North Korean regime is going to do with all of its uh, nuclear technology, its missile technology, the, the Iranians are a ready client for that kind of stuff. And they got, even with all the sanctions that are in place, lots of oil money and lots of ways to try and make it worth uh, Iran's while. So that's that's another component of this, I think, is is worth uh, remembering. We'll see what ends up happening this week with the uh, speech speeches that are coming at the U.N. I mean, I I always think the U.N. is, I mean, a much ado about nothing. I I find the U.N., as I believe most normal Americans do, to be a lot of hot air and, and really kind of a waste of everybody's time. But. Some people seem to think that it does important things. I'm just, not, I'm just not really seeing all that much of what it does that's so important. I just don't really get a lot of important stuff from the U.N. Um, but I want to talk to you about something that is really important, I think. And that is how many illegal aliens are really in this country? That's right, folks. I, I really think of this for a second. How many? Okay, I think you're all throwing out a number. You're telling me it's, uh, oh, let me guess, 11 million. But, you know, what's really interesting. That number, 11 million, has been the same number we've been told for about 10 years. Meanwhile, on any given day, there's, you know, 3,000, you know, caught crossing the border in this sector, 1,500 in that sector. You know, 3,000 here, 2,000 there. You start adding up these numbers, you know, a migrant surge of 30,000 unaccompanied minors of the border. Actually, it's 100,000 unaccompanied minors at the border, almost all of whom get to stay in the country. You're really telling me there are that many people that leave America forever who are here illegally, they go back to Mexico after they've... mm, I don't think so. What if I told you that a nonpartisan and very high-level intellectual analysis of the number says that the real number is a lot higher? I'll tell you what it is if you stay with me. 11 million, folks. That is the number. If you want to sound like you know what's going on when it comes to illegal immigration, the illegal alien population in this country, and all the rest of it. If if you want to sound like somebody who's in touch with all that, you need to know that the number is 11 million. That is what they will tell you. There's a little problem with that, though. That doesn't make any sense. I know we're told this, and and this is everyone that I know that talks about immigration says this with a few exceptions. Uh, But why would it be 11 million for the last decade or so? Why not 8 million? Why not 12 million? The number stays static, and I think there are reasons, by the way, why it stays at that number. But I'll, I'll get to that in, in a moment. But what is the real number? What if I told you that a bunch of, and I say this with all due respect, math super nerds at Yale? Uh, I wish I was a math super nerd. I'd be working at a quant hedge fund and calling into this radio show from my, you know, brand new Maserati. Uh, but what if I told you that a bunch of math super nerds at Yale Management School built a model, right, a computer model looking at all the different numbers, and, and, and they crunched the numbers, really crunched the numbers thoroughly, and they're not political, they're not, they're not advocating for any policy. In fact, you can argue that what they're doing will be more helpful to the pro-amnesty side. But what if this model tells us that based on all the available real hard data The number of illegal immigrants in the country is not 11 million. It's more like 20 at a minimum. That would seem really significant to me. How how this isn't being picked up on by more folks, I, I think, is a bit of a surprise. Let me have, again, said with respect, these Yale University math super nerds explain to you a bit of what they did and how they did it when it comes to counting the number of illegal immigrants in the country.
2: Conventional estimates provided by both uh, the the Pew Foundation and also the Center for Migration Studies uh, suggest that that number is a little over 11 million. And those figures are arrived uh, at via surveys where people are actually questioned as to whether or not they were born outside of the United States and whether they are citizens. Um, What we have done is something quite different. Uh, We have not administered surveys. Rather, we have collected both operational data, such as deportations and visa overstays, and demographic data. We discover that the survey-based result, that there are 11.3 million undocumented immigrants, seems to fall far short. We have a conservative estimate that says the number is at least uh, 16.7 million and over 1 million different scenarios accounting for all of the variability in the various parameters that we need for this model. On average, we're estimating something like 22 million undocumented immigrants in the United States.
1: Folks, did you hear that? I mean, at least, it's at least 50% bigger than what they've been telling you. And I mean everybody. I mean everyone in media, everyone out there. Because remember, there's no way to really count this. They count this via Pew survey? Excuse me, sir, uh, are you an illegal? Uh, could you tell me if you're... I have a government... I have a, I have a survey here, rather. We're not going to use it if the government. is. Are you illegal? You think they're really going to answer that? You think that they have a way of getting that survey into the hands of every illegal? I don't think so. This is madness, okay? This notion that the Pew survey data that somehow comes up with basically the same number every year it's cuz they're they're sampling the same populations or they they're not changing the necessary variables you know they're they're not actually looking at what the demographic shifts are these guys at Yale are saying it's at least 16 million and it's more like 22 million when they run the numbers a million times with their with their analysis i think this is really significant folks i think this tells us a lot about one how we are operating in the dark when it comes to immigration and illegal immigration specifically because the government wants us to. You'll, you'll notice that, that they, they like to play this game of, oh, come on, it's just going to be you know, two or three million undocumented dreamers that we keep in the country. and Like, oh, so you mean illegal aliens falling in a certain age range will just get to stay? Yeah, yeah, but it's only two or three million. Well, but it's also going to be their parents and their families, so that will be more like five or six million. And it will also be anybody that didn't sign up for the program. It's not really five or six million. It's going to be more like seven or eight million. And, you know, all of a sudden you're basically at the 10 million they told us that are illegal in the first place, that are just going to be able to stay permanently, legally. And then you start to ask, well, hold on a second. Are we even, do we, can we even trust the numbers they give us at the upper at the upper limit? The answer is no, you cannot. Think about, think about what is going on here, folks. We are having debates over immigration, over numbers. How many people should we leave in this country? How big a drain on the economy is illegal immigration? How big a drain on the schools is illegal immigration? How much crime is caused via illegal immigration? And we're operating in this world where we think that the, the population is is about half the size that it actually is. That's insane. I mean, if this was a bit, if the government was a business when it comes to immigration, it would have been would have been shut down. Everybody would have been fired a long time ago. And the fact that there's not a much more aggressive effort to figure out really who's here and who's not. Now, I'll tell you this, folks: the, the one of the problems is that I think the left likes the idea of the numbers being higher uh, because that means that Republicans who are weak need on immigration are going to get even weaker. That's right. Republicans that you can't count on to actually keep their promises and keep their word on immigration, they will see this and say, oh, gosh, now I'm really, you know, now we're really screwed. Now I really have to figure out a way to, you know, somehow make this pitch to the uh, voter that we're going to control immigration. But in reality, we're just we're going to get voted out of office. I mean, the Republican Party becomes a permanent minority party party. If you get mass amnesty of 11 million, if you get mass amnesty of 22 million, this country starts to feel like a very different place politically. I mean, what is that going to be like? The, the assumption is going to be that a vast majority of illegal aliens are going to want considerable public assistance. So they're all going to be going for a and you know, That's another thing, by the way, they're, they're now trying to cut back on. On the immigration for are trying to cut back on green cards, going to people that are on public assistance. And this is considered a terrible and a heartless thing. So, okay, two points to make on this. I mean, it's considered terrible and heartless by demagogues in the Democrat Party. uh, But two points that I really want to make this. One is, okay, uh, it's already the law that you're not supposed to be on public assistance if you are an immigrant to this country. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to come here and be able to stay if you're on public assistance. That's one. Two... Uh, are are we really supposed to just take in the welfare cases of the rest of the world? And people say, "Oh, Buck, refugees, and give me your tired, your poor, and your huddled masses yearning to, you know, the poem from the Statue of Liberty, which which all these, all these journalists think is is a thing that's not just a poem." I mean, this would be like me walking around like, "Well, hold on, have you seen that that policy inscribed on that uh, that brass statue in Central Park? You know, the Cat in the Hat." I mean, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, the poem has no has no it's a poem, uh, but are, but when we're talking about bringing in a certain number of immigrants who are going to need more help, going to need more assistance, that's one part of the conversation. There's another part of the conversation though. That's well, what happens when we're already bringing in a million people a year, and then another half a thousand, a half a million visa overstays, and then however many illegals are coming into the country beyond that. What does the treasury? What does the deficit look like when they start? being able to legally access any and all public services that they choose to. Do you, I mean, do you think the country is a, a better place for that or not? Do you think the country is in stronger shape if we bring in more and more welfare cases? So, you know, we, we can't even have, though, I mean, this brings me back to my initial point, we can't even have a serious conversation about what to do with the finances of immigration, illegal immigration, until we know how many people are here illegally. And we don't. We simply do not know. And I just wonder when we're allowed to w- be honest about that and then take action based upon it. Because I'm telling you, think about it yourself. You don't even have to crunch the numbers like these math nerds did. I'm just jealous because they're good at math. The number's at least 20 million, folks. At least 20 million illegal aliens in America. And
0: in the film, I, I show something that, sadly, President Obama did by coming to Flint and... and. Um, telling people the water was okay. It was still poison. And then he pretended to drink from a glass of water and and then said it wasn't a stunt. And it was. You cannot talk to people who have suffered so much, especially in this town, where their jobs were eliminated thirty years ago, then the economy was was ruined. The pipes are poisoned, and as I show in the film, Obama sends the Pentagon in to use Flint as target practice. And for ten days and ten nights in a row Fires missiles and bombs into abandoned buildings. Troops firing their guns. Nobody was told in advance that they were coming. Everybody thought it was a terrorist incident, and 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 it's like the the feeling of we're just we're nobody, and and America's forgotten us. We're still drinking out of bottled water, and and in this small little example, you see how sometimes the Democrats really screw it up.
1: Michael Moore's movie Fahrenheit, uh, what is it? Fahrenheit eleven nine. Brandon, have you seen it? No, no, yeah, I wouldn't think so. Uh, Michael Moore's new movie is bombing. Uh, it's got, I think it's made three million dollars the box office, which for a documentary is not bad because a lot of documentaries are made for like a hundred grand or less, but for a Michael Moore documentary, that's a, that's a disaster. I mean, he made, I don't even know, he made a huge amount of money off Fahrenheit 9-11. And I think we get some sense of, uh, of what the problem is here. You know, he, he was, you heard that he was actually taking Obama to task for what, if, if it's true, and I'm not even saying it is true. I didn't, I didn't know about this until Michael Moore brought it up. It is really, really gross. That President Obama would have showed up in Flint and said, "I drink the water. The water's fine, and it wasn't water from Flint." And he knew that. That's uh, you know. Let me just put it this way. You know, if you if, if I were doing a a radio ad and I said, "Hey, you know, I drink this product. It's totally safe," and like, and and I'm not drinking that product, or like I'm I'm, I'm faking the product as I, I guess TV ad would be better, so you could see it. A TV ad, and i have drink something, and it's not that product. Like people would have a problem with that, right? And that's just something very minor. Now you're talking about the safety of women and children, and, and men. Can't leave out men these days. Men are getting a rough rap lately. Uh, but you're, you're talking about the safety of of human beings. And Obama, for a stunt, would say that, you know, he would drink the water from Flint when clearly he would not. That strikes me as very problematic. But this is why Michael Moore's movie is probably not doing so well. Well, there are a few reasons. One is the... the uh, space of ha 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 left wing propaganda that's kind of comedy, uh, comedy commentary, you know, that it's supposed to be kind of funny, but also commentary is so overdone right now. These people are all making the same jokes. It's it's really astonishing when you turn on, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and you turn on Colbert and you turn on. they're making all the same jokes. It's all the same Trump jokes. Ha ha. He's orange. Ha ha. Melania like said something bad about him. Ha. It's all the same stuff. Uh, and so that that space is very full in a way that I think when Fahrenheit 911 came out, it was it was getting there, but it wasn't quite there. Yes, there was the Daily Show. There's some other things. But now you've got that plus, you know, you've got the established networks doing this stuff, plus all these different digital outlets. And, you know, Netflix has this show and, you know, Samantha B has a show and all these people. It's amazing. You just have to have the right politics and you can be a very low talent hack. And get a comedy show. But you have to have the right politics. Comedy is very, it's very difficult to be successful in comedy unless you have uh, the right political persuasion. You'll notice people say, oh, there's no funny conservative comedians. No, that's not true. There's actually a lot of conservative comedians. I know a bunch of conservative comedians. They just don't get big shows. And you'd say, oh, Buck, it's because they're not as funny. No, it's not true. It's just like the reality of the news world. You know, why do people get bigger jobs if they're part of the the left wing, uh, less left wing machinery? Well, because there's a lot more opportunity and the people that are making the decisions at NBC. I mean, you know, the the ABC uh, political panel on the weekends has some of the dumbest people on TV that I can imagine on a pretty regular basis. But they must be well regarded by the executives at ABC who are obviously liberals. So that's all you need. Uh, you know, you don't really have that on the conservative side. I mean, there's only one network that moves the needle that's conservative, and we all know it's Fox, and then that's it. Beyond that, you can be a conservative who's getting hate elsewhere, but you're not finding a home with, any real, with of any real meaning elsewhere. Uh, but, but back to Michael Moore and and this movie that he's made that I'm not going to see, that you're not going to see, I would imagine. Well, some of you have probably seen it. Uh, I've spoken to friends who they've said A couple of people told me it's just really bad. I mean, it's it's, you know, why do you have to watch a dishonest if things are so terrible in this country? Why do you have to watch a completely dishonest portrayal of what's going on where all Michael Moore does is misrepresent the argument that he's apparently tackling? You know, this is this was the big gag in The Daily Show. Ha ha ha. Here's conservatives. They're so dumb, you know, and then our side wins. Yeah, you could call it clown nose on clown nose off. That's what. That's what's uh, a good description of it, I think. And that's the game that they used to play. That way you never lose, right? You make an argument, you mock people, and then they respond and say, well, that's actually not the argument, and that's not even really that funny because you're mis... And they go, oh, no, no, man, I'm just a comedian. I'm just making jokes, ha, ha, ha. You know, this is is the game they play. It kind of reminds me of... I I had one or two friends uh, growing up who... Well, it was really one in particular, who he would do this thing... Where he, he was, he was an he was an underminer, but a close up underminer. So when whenever, especially when we were in front of girls, he would say, you know, well, this is junior high. We're talking about. He'd say, you know, hey, this is my friend Buck. Like, isn't he so cool? Like, his feet smell really bad. Ha ha. What? I'm just joking, man. Like, it's just a joke. Like, would would do this. And if you get mad at him, you're like, hey, like, why are you telling the girls that my fan? like my feet are great? And he goes, oh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. He did this to everybody. This was his routine he was a very insecure and very troubled fellow he did not go on to have a particularly successful or happy life but i remember this as a this was a real pattern with this person and that's kind of the way that liberals argue in this comedy commentary space they they want to be taken seriously they want the big interview but then they you know the, the, like michael moore michael moore will sit down and he'll act like he's about to you know run for senate and then when he gets pushed on something and it's not going his way then almost sudden he steps back and he goes, oh, 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 come on, man. Like, we're just, you know, we're just kind of more or less so than some of the others, to be fair. More or less so than Trevor Noah and Samantha B and these other. They're really just pundits with people writing jokes for them. Yeah, so that's that's all that you have there. But the the ultimate reason that uh, I think Fahrenheit nine I'm sorry, Fahrenheit eleven nine, is not successful is that he's criticizing Obama. And what Michael Moore doesn't realize, perhaps, and maybe he would say he doesn't care and he's so principled and, you know, he's... I mean, the guy's a grotesque fraud, in my opinion, but uh, he, he, what, what he would say is that he's just speaking the truth, but to liberals, you can't... It's not safe, it's not okay to criticize Obama. you are They're not at the place where they want to hear any criticism of Obama. Obama is perfect to them. Obama is the greatest. And anyone who deviates from that has really stepped outside of what is acceptable for liberals, right? What is acceptable liberal discourse. And, and somehow, I guess, Michael Moore maybe underestimated the, the blowback from that or didn't really understand what was going on. But I'm just telling you, it was, uh, it was very apparent to me. As soon as I heard, oh, he's going after Obama in some of this, that's going to get him, that's gonna get him in, the, uh, in the bad boy box, which is where he's gone, I think, now in some of this stuff. And the, the left does not accept criticism of Obama. Uh, I want to talk to you about some good news because we've got a a lot of news that is a little tough. I want to talk to you about some good news. And the news is uh, that airline seats might be getting bigger. So your butt might be a little comfier in them. And this is through Congress. They might actually do something. Stay with me. and I'll give you the details. Congress is generally useless, my friends. Congress uh, is more often than not. Something that you have to ask the question, are, are they just wasting our tax dollars and wasting everyone's time? Uh, but it turns out they may, do something, they may do something useful. They may do something that, for me at least, somewhat earns their paychecks. They may require more legroom on planes, and, as well as in, uh, changing the rules on service animals and involuntary bumping. Uh, here's what here's the story is, folks. Congress is considering ordering the FAA to establish minimum airline seat sizes, investigate the size and number of airplane lavatories, and establish new standards for allowing service animals to fly with their owners. The proposals are included in an FAA funding plan re- re- released by the House and the Senate. Uh, this would be great, folks. This would be really nice because currently uh, the... 34 or 35 inches that you are used to getting in between airline seats and coach or economy, whatever they call it now, is now under 30 inches. So you've lost a solid five inches and you only had 35. to. So, I mean, you've lost a, a big chunk of your leg room uh, and and with existing safety rules I means seats, you know, could get as low as 27 inches, which is just crazy. You know, airline travel is the one place where it somehow never gets a lot better as I've gotten older. You know, they, yeah, they've got the personal device thing and the, or the personal screen in the back of the seat. But now we've all got personal devices. So I don't really give the airline a lot of credit for that. I end up using my laptop anyway. My laptop screen and my control over what I'm watching is way better than what's on the back of that seat. But airlines are, it's just brutal, man. And, you know, it's, it's like always a reminder, too. It's like, have I been hitting the gluten-free muffins a little hard? Because I try to squeeze my butt into that seat. And I'm like, ooh, this is not, this is not really going so well. You know, I start to feel a little bit like it's, it's time to get back into the squat rack. Uh, because otherwise, I'm going to have to be one of these guys who, you know, always has to ask, can I put the armrest off between us? And I'm doing that because I want more space, but if there happens to be a lady sitting next to you it's a little bit like, "Well, hello, can we perhaps share a tiny bottle of really crappy Chardonnay uh so i don't I don't want to do that obviously, but so th- this is where though my my inner I'm honest about it this is where my inner statist comes out there are a few things uh banning of smoking in restaurants I know it should be left up to the establishment, but you know what I like not having to breathe in other people's smoke while I'm eating food I'm just I know it, it makes me uh, a big government kind of guy with that one, but I'm all about it. Noise restrictions, woo, I love. We should have much stricter noise restrictions. I get kept up at night by these, uh, these booming bass sounds coming from cars that are on the street several stories below my window. You know, you, you this, What is this with people? Also, motorcycles. Why are motorcycles so loud? Okay, I mean, fine, if you want to get on a crotch rocket and, you know, speed to your your untimely demise, that's on you. But do I have to hear it a quarter of a mile away? Do I have to hear it? You know, I just don't understand. That's where I like big government to kick in. See this, folks, you got to know what your limits are. You know, I, I don't like the government reaching into my pocket. I don't like high taxes, but I do like bans on smoking in restaurants. And uh, I would like it if Congress could mandate more legroom on airplanes Uh, because they've really it's the only business model that I know of where instead of you paying to be comfortable, I mean, that's true at some in some way, but you really have to frame it in the opposite direction. You pay for less discomfort. The more money you're willing to pay the airline, the less crap they put you through, the less your back will hurt when your flight is done, the less you will get sweaty and stressed out trying to get through security or, or deal with other things. You know that's, that's how the airlines really make their money. It's the only business model I know of. I mean, maybe there's something else where that's the case, where you're paying not to be satisfied and, and thrilled with things. You're just paying for a lessening of pain. So if Congress could do this, I think it would be fantastic. Or maybe I should just make sure that I can fit comfortably into a coach seat, which you know I can. It's a little it's a little snug on the sides, but I can get in there. Um, we're gonna get into a roll call here in just a moment, team. So uh, be sure to stick around for that. And remember, if you want to send me your thoughts via roll call, facebook.com/slash bucksex. And again, facebook.com slash And Much more coming. Stay with me.
2: Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call.
1: Team, great to be with you here, as always. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. It is, you know, it's a particularly morose day here in D.C. in general. It was uh, rainy and wet and kind of cold, and it's clear the summer's really over now you know it's we're no longer in that like oh maybe it's still nice it's september and and the weather matches the city's mood uh, because this is the ugliest i I would assume since trump was elected that this city has felt i wasn't here then but uh it is it is ugly uh it is ugly here right now Uh, people that i usually find myself able to engage in a civil back and forth it's just not worth it um as i've been saying all day on the show it's Man, people really want a, a federal, well, I, you know what? I've been making Mike. I've been making Mike. Let, let me get to roll call. I'm sorry that I got diverted again, but you are all my sanity as always. So thank you so much for joining in and listening to the show. Harry, and if you want to write to me, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Harry, Shields High Buck, catching up on podcasts and had to laugh at your hesitation about hokum. I love your excellent vocabulary. Don't forget Hokum's Brethren, Hui, Tommy Rot, Balderdash, and many others. I love your even rational analysis of the world. Thank you. Well, thank you, Harry. I really appreciate you listening. And, you know, my friend, that's no malarkey you're throwing out there. That's no, uh, I'm trying to think of hogwash. Did you put that one in there? That's a good hogwash is fun. Uh, that's not cockamamie. It's another fun one. Uh, Paul, next up here, he writes... Mr. Sexton, I've been listening to your podcast for months now, and you have been 100% spot on. I just want to tell you thank you until you're doing a fantastic job. I only wish Fox would give you a show so your reach would expand and open up the minds of those who do not listen to the podcast. Well, Paul, that makes two of us. I do have one question since watching Steve Bannon's new documentary, Trump at War. Why do you think Sebastian Gorka and Steve Bannon were let go from the Trump team? I know Bannon was critical of President Trump and his son after getting fired, uh, but he seemed like he was someone who was in his corner and would fight for him prior to his release. Gorka has never wavered in his support. Do you think they were let go so they could do more public appearances and work on behalf of President Trump? Finally, I think it's time for you to join either the President's Cabinet, DOJ, or FBI. Thoughts? Oh, well, Paul, thank you very much. It's very kind of you, and thanks for listening to the show. Uh, as to why Bannon and... Uh, as to why Bannon left... And why Gorka left, I really can't tell you, um, meaning I don't know. I would tell you if I knew. I do know that there was a lot of, and this is from contacts of mine, there was a lot of pushback inside of national security circles, specifically when it came to Gorka. Uh, there were people that just, they they had it out for Dr. Gorka, that, that I can tell you. Uh, I'm assuming Dr. Gorka knows that in some detail, but uh, I, I would hear, hear from people Because he was an outsider. I mean, he wasn't someone who came in and had spent you know decades in the intel community or decades in uh, national security in this country. Uh, He's an outside academic, and there was definitely pushback. Now, I don't know if that's why he left, but I, I do know that was a that was a real a real situation that he was dealing with. And then, as for Bannon, I think that's just you've got two alpha dog personalities with Trump and Bannon, and there can only be one when it comes to Trump. But I don't have any inside insight for you. I have been trying to get Mr. Bannon to uh, sit down with me for an interview on TV for a couple of weeks. Now I'm going to continue trying. Uh, hopefully that will come through and I'll have a chance to ask him some of these questions directly, but thank you so much. Uh, all right. Next up, Adam writes this last week. You've been talking about abortion a lot. What if we took the logic of inconvenience as a justification for murder into other areas? How many people do you think could convince 12 jurors not to sentence them to death for almost any act? Shields high. Uh, Adam, thank you very much for writing in. Uh, Abby writes, so why did you block me? Not a fan of free speech. Well, Abby, I definitely didn't block you because I'm reading your note and getting your note on on air right now. So you weren't blocked. So so there's that. (laughs) So, so we've established that you have not been blocked and the only people that get blocked from my page and I've got a team. So it's not just me that works on the Facebook page are people that post, uh, you know, profane, gross, bad stuff, which people do all the time. We, you know, we can't have that. Uh, but I mean, for opinions, people say, Oh, trust me, people write, the emails tend to be meaner than the Facebook posts. I find, although today Twitter has been just full of, of nastiness, uh, Jeremy writes, If accusations of sexual assault that are presented with absolutely no evidence and on the contrary have been refuted by the very witnesses that the accusers named are enough to stop a Supreme Court nomination or any other nomination, where does that leave us as a country? This will paralyze our political system. Harry Reid was warned that Democrats would regret the nuclear option with judicial nominations, and they do. This will have the same outcome liberals are incapable of looking past their own noses concerned only with the now they will regret this as well Jeremy a big part of uh, contemporary leftism or liberalism is a is the emotional response over the uh, wisdom of of reason and experience right so what what it feels like should be true is treated as true or what what somebody feels like they should say they just say even if it's not Supported by facts and evidence. Uh, So there's a big movement right now to convince everybody that they're that the uh, reason that there's the nuclear option was invoked is actually Republicans fault, which is fascinating, isn't it? The reason the nuclear option was invoked, they say, is because of Republicans. That's the new that's the new hotness, as the kids say. That's the new story. And it's just historically inaccurate. It's just not true. And people can say whatever they want to say, but doesn't make it true. So we're up against a lot. Um, Jar writes, Buck, brown M&M's, Wayne's World 2, we had to beat them to death with their own shoes, end quote. Jar, you are correct. My tweet about brown M&M's, or rather my comment also tweeted about it, about brown M&M's and Dr. Ford. That is a reference to Wayne's World 2, the fantastic movie, which you all should check out when you get a chance. Actually, no, it's not fantastic. I take that back. It's kind of mediocre to not so good Um, Wayne's World is a great movie Wayne's World 2 is a B minus maybe a C plus Rita writes I am sickened by the vicious smears of Mr. Kavanaugh the stories have basically fallen apart under even the slightest scrutiny however I worry the GOP doesn't have the spine to withstand the onslaught no matter how transparent the Dems efforts oh and Avenatti jumping in just adds a whole nother layer of sleaze God help us Shields high. Well, Rita, it's definitely true about Avenatti adding a layer of sleeves. That, that guy, everything about him strikes me as unethical and gross and slimy. Uh, he is perhaps the, defin- the human definition of unctuous, uh, or as some of you have taught me how to say, oleaginous. So he, he's a gross, gross fellow, but the Democrats find him useful, so they embrace him at some level. I also worry, Rita, that the GOP does not have the spine to withstand this onslaught. I, I I think that, you know, Mitch McConnell's giving some inspiring words right now, but I can tell you that if this doesn't work out at the end of the day, Mitch McConnell is gonna have plenty of reasons. He's gonna have plenty of ways of telling you, well, it wasn't you know, it wasn't his fault. It's not his fault that uh, you know, it didn't get through. So I, I hope Mitch is right when he says he'll at least get it to a floor vote. But if that happens, folks, you know. People are saying that you could have a, a defection or two from the Republican side. I mean, Flake I think is going to defect just just out of spite because he's a he's a a prototypical weak, need, cowardly, phony politician. Oh, that's you know this is a guy who's said he stu- he stood for things his whole career, but when it comes to personal slights and insults and feeling like he's cut out of the Trump administration, and everything else, he puts his own ego ahead of everything else going on in the country. So. That is a, uh, an important thing to keep in mind here. We could we could lose, even if it gets to the floor. Uh, Max writes, Buck, I have a proposal for how you can handle this mess. You're probably not going to like it, but hear me out. We withdraw the Kavanaugh nomination and agree to order a comprehensive investigation on the condition that the Democrats commit to passing a resolution apologizing to Kavanaugh if nothing is found to substantiate the allegations. We nominate Amy Coney Barrett. Senator Menendez is credibly accused of using the services of underage prostitutes and bribery, of course, forced Democrats to either sacrifice him or abandon the credible accusation standard of guilt. All this should blunt their momentum in the midterms. But if they happen to take the Senate, we can still confirm Amy in the lame duck. When the investigation concludes and Kavanaugh is vindicated, it will strike a blow for the presumption of innocence. And if RBG kicks uh, the bucket, we can give her seat. Max, you're doing a lot of 3D chess there, and I, and I give you credit for making all those chess moves. Uh, but I, I think that the answer here is to stay the course. Uh, I think the answer is to, is to get Kavanaugh through. The, the only way to achieve justice here is to make sure that Kavanaugh gets a vote and gets voted into the Supreme Court. Everything else, I think, is, uh, falls far short of what is needed here. Lane writes, Hey, Buck, I love the show. I listen on podcasts the following day. My wife and I love the show Blue Bloods and binge watch it frequently. Was wondering if you've watched it and what you think about it. I think you'd have a unique perspective from Lane in Utah. Uh, well, Lane, I have watched Blue Blood. I think it's a good show. I enjoy it. I think it's well done. Uh, I, you know, I can't really speak too much to the kind of detective or patrolman side of the show because I was really only ever exposed to counterterrorism in the NYPD and also the uh, higher level bureaucratic managerial stuff at One Police Plaza so meeting with you know inspectors and uh, deputy chiefs and chiefs and all this kind of stuff so I didn't really deal that much with uh, rank and file NYPD patrol which is a lot, I know a lot or or detectives although no actually that's not true I dealt with detectives in the counterterrorism cases uh, but Patrol, I really never dealt with. So I can't speak too much to it. I, I think that it's a, I think it's a well-made show. I think it's entertaining. I always kind of laugh because Wahlberg's brother, Donnie Wahlberg, just reminds me of, of Mark Wahlberg, but not like, not as cool, kind of. So it, it's a funny thing. Um, but Anyway, that's it. Thank you so much for writing in, team. It is going to be a hell of a week for any of us that like to share our thoughts publicly or that are interested in politics. It's going to be a nasty week. Uh, Be prepared to take some incoming if you're going to fight the good fight for Kavanaugh. And so you know, especially this week, my friends, Shields High.